0: This is the Hockey News Podcast. Uh, If you're wondering why we're talking about decade, it's because that is the theme of this podcast. This is the decade podcast of the 2010s. We're doing the best of 2010s in this podcast, which is brought to you by our sponsor, Christian Hockey. So... I think we're going to lead it off with the big guns, okay? Let's just All get right. it out there. Let's it's been it, put it a up. topic of, of heated debate on Twitter as various networks and publications release their lists. The player of the decade. Kenneth Campbell, give me your best player
1: of the decade. Well, I'm going to go with Patrick Kane, and that's not a big whatever you to NBC Sports who had him, who didn't even have him among the Which top is ten. Which absolute insanity. Yeah, it isn't. That, that. I mean, that's insane, but you know. It is a list, everybody. It's a list. Take it easy. But, anyways, I, I mean, you could definitely make the case for Patrick Kane. Um, highest scorer of the decade, uh, more than seven hundred points over the course of the decade. You know, obviously three cups, but not just three cups, but three cups. One where he scored the game-winning goal in the in the uh, the, the final game. One where he was the Conn Smythe Trophy winner, and another one where he was really good too. So he was he was. Like hu- a huge part of three cups, uh, won the Conn Smythe, uh, two two Art Ross trophies. Uh, uh, one Art Ross. One Art Ross. Runner-up finish, yeah. I think. Uh, Heart or, or third place last year. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, the, I think just with the numbers. Okay, so Art, well, fifteen, sixteen, he won the trifecta. He won the Art Ross, the Heart, and the Lindsay in fifteen, sixteen. So that's that's a good decade by anybody's standard. Yeah, and it's fine. and and I will add. I think in this decade, this will be the decade that we will remember that Patrick Kane became the greatest Chicago Blackhawk of all time. Interesting. O- over, and, and don't at me, over Bobby Hull and over Stan Mikita. I remember, we had a big debate about this a couple of years ago, but now,
0: you know, <clears throat> your take, your stance on the debate has aged well, because Patrick Kane has since tossed up another 100-point season. Right. Obviously, more cups than Hull and Mikita combined. Hull and right. Mikita combined, two cups. Patrick Kane, three cups. Uh, So I do like the pick of Kane, and when I saw that list that didn't have him on it, I didn't freak out because, you know, I don't freak out over lists! Right. (laughs) But I I was surprised that, you know, a guy that I think should have been top two... Wasn't even on the list, and I say right. top two because Kane is not my pick for number one. Uh, I think you got to throw out some honorable mentions. Alex Ovechkin, Ovechkin, of course, has been amazing, but he did so much awesome damage in the previous decade. Right. Uh, and Anja Kopitar had a great decade as well, Selkie Trophy and, and multiple Stanley Cups. And you've got, of course, Patrice Bergeron, who's had a great decade as well. But my pick is Cindy Crosby. Yeah. Maybe, maybe people are going to say it's a boring pick, but if you just break it down, okay. So before we even get to his NHL accomplishments, two Olympic gold medals in both Do of you those like winning, wins. Do you like winning, <laughs> yeah. he scored the game winning goal in both Olympics 2010 and 2014 so there's the two medals right there. Two Stanley Cups, in both cup runs he won the Smythe Trophy as playoff MVP. Yep. 2013-14 he won the scoring title, the MVP. And you could make a case he probably would have won two other MVPs, two other scoring titles, if not for his concussion problems. Yep. 2010-11, he was on the best pace of his career offensively, having the best season of his career before. They hit with Dave Steckel, and I think yep. the other one was Hedman, it was two, second impact syndrome, mm-hmm, two mm-hmm. in a span of a few days that sidelined him. And 2012-13 he also took a puck in the face that cut his right. season short, Martin St. Louis, won that scoring title, but and Ovechkin won the MVP that year, but Crosby, I think if he'd not missed, I think it was
1: 12 games, he probably would have won everything as well. Well, yeah, and and that was 12 over 48. So that's a quarter of the season. That's the equivalent of missing twenty twenty-one. games. Yeah, a quarter of the season, exactly. So factoring
0: in all the different accomplishments (coughs) and the fact he became a much more complete player, a guy who is suddenly in the Selkie Trophy discussion now, has rounded out his game, has become a true shutdown guy, plays against the other team's best players, and overcame some major concussion problems. At the start of the decade, early in the decade, there was talk of, is Crosby going to be the next Eric Lindros? Is his career going to end early? Are we going to mm-hmm. miss out on this great mm-hmm. career? And it's still always going to be a risk with him if he gets another concussion. But it's crazy that it's it kind of feels like the big scares in the rearview mirror with Sidney Crosby. And it's a testament to how well he's bounced back from that really scary part early in this decade. Er,
1: yeah, very early. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right around yeah. the time
0: I was starting at the Hockey News. So, cool yeah. story, bro. Uh, so, that's the player of the decade. <laughs> they janked him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, Let's keep it with the big guns, okay? Uh, Let's do the team of the decade. So, Kenny, you're up. Let's hear it.
1: Okay, well, uh, I mean, there were better teams this decade, um, without question. But my team of the decade is the 2017-18 Washington Capitals. uh, For a couple of reasons. Number one, because they, uh, I mean, they were expected to win so many times before that. And then finally it became, no, show us. And they, they went out and they actually showed us. But what I, but what, what impressed me most about that team was they were down 0-2 in the first round went to double overtime of game 3 against Columbus in the first round mm-hmm. Columbus hits the post in overtime they are one hit post away from going down 0-3 in the first round who knows they may have come back and won that series anyways but this is a team that they went down in every series they they were they were behind in every all four series that they won, including the final, which Vegas won game one, um, and and so I just thought that you know the way Ovechkin played, um, so, and and what I think I think what gives it a little more credence too is that. Is that it? Kind of restarted everything for this group. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like now, like would you be surprised if the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup this year? Oh, not at all. Not in. Not even a little bit. I wouldn't even be a little bit surprised if they put it all together and won the Stanley Cup this year. Um, and I think that that winning sort of galvanized that group and and made them. You know, a better team moving forward. So now this team, I think, bought itself a couple more years of an open window to win the Stanley Cup by winning that cup. Yeah,
0: I like that, and I like <clears> the <throat> fact that it also kind of opened up a window for Ovi to sort of focus on the individual stats. Because I remember interviewing right. him that right. year, and I said, "You know, are you thinking about chasing Gretzky?" And he was like, "No, only Cup. I want Stanley Cup." And then, and <laughs> but then that happened, and it was like, "Okay, now that's he's knocked down that pillar, and now like the next big thing for him to to." Try and grab onto could be, you know, 800 goals, whatever it's gonna be. Right, right. right the cups off his back. Right. Uh, my team of the decade, again, I'm going with another fastball right down the middle, an obvious pick here, but uh, I think it's warranted. It's the 2012 13 Chicago Blackhawks. So this team starts the year 21, 0 3, right? So it's an NHL record right. for point streak to start the year. We did a special edition of the magazine, The Greatest Teams of All Time, in 2013. And this team ranked 15th on the all-time, every single season in NHL history. Right. Teams list. And again, <laughs> there's been seven years and decades since then, but that gives you perspective of how dominant this team was. And I think, I, I count probably four guys on that team that are going to be Hall of Famers. So Patrick Kane, for sure. Yep. Duncan Keith, for sure. Um, Jonathan Marion. I think Jonathan, Jonathan Tays and Marion yeah. Hosa, I think, are both. Yeah. Tays, probably. Yeah. Uh, we can oh, debate yeah. whether Tays yeah. has become a bit overrated later in his career, but right. I think Right, right, The overall list of accomplishments, including international, Taze is probably going to be there. And Marion Hosa, I think, is going to be in the discussion. Uh, And plus, Joe Joe Quenville, one of the greatest coaches of all all time, also at the peak of his power. And you had a great supporting cast with guys like Patrick Sharp and Brandon Saad at his best, and Brent Seabrook when he was still playing close to his peak level. Just a dominant, really well-rounded team that was untouchable for literally half the season. 24 games. Didn't lose in regulation for the first half of a shortened season.
1: Still very impressive. So... That's my pick. They were uh, they were down two one in the final to Boston that year, mm-hmm. and I remember Zdeno Czera was just he was he was the factor in the series. He was the determining factor in that series, and I remember saying after that game, I, I said if if I'm Chicago, I go right at him. I dump the puck into his corner. I try and wear him down. I try and take that away from him, and that was pretty much what they did mm-hmm. and then they ended up winning and then they won that game six that crazy, crazy bang, bang crazy crazy game six where david Boland scores with i don't know 13 seconds left or whatever uh and they win it on in in boston we did all you, thought it was going back to chicago and if for you, seven. if you
0: went for a particularly long bathroom break you would have thought that boston would won the game you come back oh right? my yeah. god yeah. <laughs> speaking of bathroom breaks i was in the bathroom when the 2010 gold medal olympic goal was scored
1: Oh, you man. should be on one of those hockey Hall of Fame commercials. Yeah,
0: I. I yeah, I was, I was like oh, this, he needs the bathroom. Go upstairs, come back, game over. So that I was obviously. a wild that, that day. I remember I was in a, a bar and uh, my friend went to the bathroom during overtime, and I lost it. I went crazy. I was like, "You're gonna!" And I, I dropped a couple. Uh, you know, I used some salty language on him. I was furious. Are you, you, know,
1: it, on the, on you know where I was? Yeah. You know where I was in that game for that you were, game? You were there. I was actually there. <laughs> oh. Wow. Yeah. So. I could say could something, tell, could I tell, guess, but yeah. I was there. I,
0: I was, I was there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. Stephen was, was...
1: I was covering it.
0: Yeah. Stephen was, was playing with, I don't know, Pogs. Lego. So. Pogs is my generation. Lego. I, I called him old on Facebook a few days ago.
1: Nice. He's really, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Like, Low, I can help that. Like, fruit. I can help being
1: old. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh,
0: now... <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna go with the story of the decade. So that's that's a it's a pretty tough category because it can be something that's yeah. on the ice, off the ice. But Kenny, I'm gonna let you lead off with a big one here.
1: Well, and and it, it was kind of a personal one for me, um, which I think is is part of the reason why I chose it. And it was you know April sixth, two thousand and eighteen, the probably the worst day in Canadian sports history uh, when the Humboldt Broncos were involved in that bus accident that killed. Uh, 13 people and injured another 16. Um, you know, and 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 I guess closely followed by and not not like this is a competition or anything, but but probably right on par with the Yaroslavl plane crash in September of 2011 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two stories that transcended hockey. That uh, you know, I, I mean, for me, the the whole Humboldt thing was just like. It was just a bunch of kids chasing their dream, you know, and uh, and something so random and so tragic to have happened. Um, you know, and then and then I went there. Um, I was privileged to to go and cover the 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 aftermath of it and sort of to walk with those people at that time was it was very profound. For me, I think it changed. Uh, it changed a lot of my outlook on things, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was a very very profound moment for me. And the work you did during that
0: was exemplary. So shout out to what you did. Thank it was, you. And it wouldn't have, Thank you. wouldn't have been easy to be there on the front lines and still churning out really good work. Thank you. Uh, and all we can hope is that something good comes out of it. Chris Joseph has been doing really advocating for changes in the seatbelt laws to buses and it's really crazy when you think about it. The idea that buses, these team buses, are not outfitted with seatbelts, it's really,
1: it's, it's unbelievable. Well they are now, they are going right. to be now, but but his his thing is, more and, going and forward. He, like if a bus was built last year, it's going to be on the road for 25 years and it's not going to have seatbelts exactly. in yes. it. And it, it costs a lot to retrofit those buses. Um, so I mean there is that, and the other thing that they're obviously um, pushing for is a lot more accountability in terms of driver training and, and you know, logging your your, your hours and that sort of thing so i mean s- change has been slow to come but if there's anything that's going to come from this i hope that i hope that there's something we can do about something uh, along those lines good pick kenny and, and and honestly i
0: you know i think that it <clears throat> probably is the pick even on my end but for yeah. the sake of the exercise i want to offer another alternative right. let's pick. go on ice yeah we'll go yeah. on ice uh, march 7th 2010 matt cook catches mark savard with a hit to the head it forever changes Marks of career, of course. Yep. Um. Puts him into a long cycle of post-concussion syndrome. Essentially ruins Marks of Art's career. Um, but it does more than that because the hit itself leads to the creation of Rule Forty Eight Point One for a legal check to the head, in which players can now be policed for specifically targeting the head. Uh, and before that rule was in place, people couldn't believe that Matt Cook wasn't properly disciplined for it was it, a clean hit. But the rule, yeah. <laughs> and under the rule book, the hit was clean. Yeah. The rule did yeah. not exist yet. Right. So. Because of that, you know, we still have a long way to go in terms of player safety, in terms of concussions. But I still think it was a paradigm shift for the game because yeah. it suddenly changed the way we look at body checking. And it, it has it has slowly been, I think, introduced to each new generation of players that they're understanding now that the way you you throw a body check is different. You, you have to focus on hitting the core of a guy's body. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's fundamentally changed the game, and I, I think it's still relatively... It's, it's only been 10 years, but all the young kids that are born into this new generation are going to be better, cleaner hitters as well, so I think we're going to see ripple effect, and it kind of started there. It also, I think, really was a leap forward in terms of raising concussion awareness. Right. And we're not there yet, like I, I still do think that we're seeing a lot this season, concussions are still a major problem, and you have Ken Dryden's idea that maybe all head contact, even if it's incidental, should be punished. But it still changed the way that I think the hockey world sympathizes and empathizes with concussion victims. Yeah. I think it started there. I think that was the moment when people, I think the sport as a whole, started taking concussions more seriously. Absolutely. And You look at a guy like Eric Lindros, who Whoa. was a pariah in his day. But since that time, I think people have sort of they've gone back at Lindros's history and realized he was a, a pioneer in terms absolutely. of training his body Absolutely, the right absolutely, way. absolutely. And I don't know if that happens if we don't see this big leap forward yeah. with Rule 48.1 because that was the NHL's way of saying, okay, now we're going to take it seriously,
1: too. Right, right. Like, I mean, who would have thought that Eric Lindros, who was one of the most physical players in the history of the game early in his career, would come out in the late 20 teens saying... We should take hitting out of hockey. I mean, and not not saying that that that's what we should do, but but positing that even as a as an option mm-hmm. is you know who would have thought that? And I think I think you're right, Matt. I, I think this story uh, that this the 48.1 and the headshot rule it, it it was part of the biggest story of the decade, the biggest ongoing story of the decade, which is. Head trauma, concussions. You know, I mean, we CTE. lost. Yes, yeah, CTE. We lost. We lost, as we know. You know, uh, Todd Ewan, Wade Belak, uh, um Steve um, Montador. Steve Montador. Um, uh, you know, the list goes the, on. Yeah. the list goes on. Rit-ripping. And 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 so and then you have Gary Bettman still denying that there's any, uh, rightly or wrongly, and I I think wrongly, but denying that there's any correlation between repeated hits to the head and CTE. Um, and this is a story that's not even close to being. F- to, to being finished yeah. Yeah, we're just scratching yeah. the surface. So yeah. I picked that
0: because it kind of represents that entire topic, right? right. So um, now we're gonna we're gonna go with the bust of the decade. Okay, so things nice. are gonna that was a pretty serious topic. This is still a technically a negative topic, but it's a bit of a, a lighter topic. So let's yeah. talk about who who failed to meet those big old
1: expectations. <laughs> Who's your guy? Well, or, or team. <clears throat> when the Toronto Maple Leafs signed David Clarkson in the summer of 2013. Then GM Dave Nonis. How many GMs ago was that now? So there's been Nonis and then I Lou, guess there was Lou. Lou. There was the no, interim situation. There was interim. And there was then yeah. Lou, then Dubas, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, okay. Anyways. Anyways, Dave Dave Nonis said at that time, I don't care about five years from now. I, I just, you know, I, I'm worried about the production now because there was a lot of... There was a lot of criticism over the length of this contract. Seven years, $36.8 million. And Nonas came out and said, I don't care about five years from now. I care about now. Well, he didn't do it even right off the hop. He started on the wrong foot. Ten game suspension. Yeah, yeah, left the yeah. bench in the preseason. And he yeah. never... He and never, he never... And, 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 and I mean, right. injuries, obviously, terrible injury luck has a lot to do with this. But uh, 144 games played in that contract so far. 30 points... Uh, he's on his th- third or fourth team now that, that's moved that contract around. Like, that contract's kind of become the poster boy for, oh, we need somebody to put on LDIR, uh, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. So um, I, I, he's back his contract like that's back with Toronto oh, now it isn't is. it
0: that's right it went to Columbus then to Vegas then to and,
1: then, and then Vegas for Gareth Sparks right I believe or something so. yeah yeah, yeah. So, so like so like it's back with Toronto now he's on the last year of that deal if you can believe it so he's finishing five, the deal at leave. 5.25 a year um and uh, like virtually n- like nothing to show for it now there's a couple of things number one injuries yes number two he was never gonna live up to this deal in the first place, in my opinion. When teams sign guys like this, what happens is the player doesn't change, but expectations do. And that, I think, was always gonna be the case here. I think everybody thought he was gonna be the same guy who patrolled the wing for Ilya Koval, or, or, or like, like what, with, with Ilya Koval. We try. certainly did, if anyone's yeah. <laughs> watching. We, we, we drove nice. the high train a little bit. Yep. That's yep. him. Yep. There it is, right there. Good get. Um, so I, he was never going to live up to this contract, but he re- really, really, really didn't live up to it. And you feel, I, I feel
0: from I've always said, uh, out of every player I've ever dealt with or interviewed in my career covering the NHL, David Clarkson is the nicest, easiest to work with. Yep. guy. So he's a, he's a. He, it was easy to want to see him succeed. He's such a nice
1: guy, but it just didn't. And, and I, I, didn't I work think out for the, him. I think the worst part of it for Toronto was that that he wanted to come here and somebody was telling me that you know they do this big you know sh- spiel for incoming guys when they yeah. had the when they had the five day window right and they show this they show this montage of That's toronto right. and playing and at the end they show the they show the they show the um the trainer stitching clarkson onto a leaf sweater That's right. and apparently he started crying yeah, and his family he started was a crying big deal. it was just yeah and, and so that was it he was there it was done and what turned out to be a coup turned out to probably be the, the worst thing that could he, he felt the weight of the world yeah. on his shoulders poor guy uh <clears throat> for my bust of the decade i'm going to go
0: with the <clears throat> team okay this right? team tied the nhl record for wins in a season <laughs> 62 wins the tampa bay lightning <laughs> and this was the first team since 1977 78 to have the Hart Trophy winner, Art Ross Trophy winner, and Vesna Trophy winner on the same team in the same season, and swept in round one. It doesn't get any bigger than that in terms of a bust. Right. The best team on paper, the best regular season team, one of the three best regular season teams of all time, the best regular season team on paper since the 95 96 Red Wings. Right. In that just all-time elite tier with that Red Wings team and with the 76, 77 Habs. Uh, but, of course, the Red Wings didn't win in 95 Yeah, but the Habs did. Habs did. The, the Red Wings at least made the conference final in 96. They did. That was the uh, that was the Colorado great yeah. um, epic series. Epic series, series, Claude Lemieux and Claude Chris Lemieux. Draper. And, yeah. uh, but Tampa didn't even win a game. They led 3 nothing in game one. I think the first period of game one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I remember even tweeting like, oh, this is going to be a whitewash or whatever I wrote and then it was like, oh, that tweet did not age well. Yeah. They never even had any... They, they were barely in the series the rest of the way. Kucherov got suspended. It was a total disaster. And I still think it... I, I think it still haunts the Lightning players. It comes up a lot. They, they talk about it, it a lot. To. It has to. I mean, to. it hasn't been very long. It only happened four months <laughs> yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. It haunts yeah, them. Yeah.
1: I mean, 2000 and. Yeah. 13 still haunts the Toronto Maple Leafs sometimes. Well, we'll, we'll get, to that. We'll get oh, to that. Oh, yeah, later. we yeah. got to that one. That's yeah, that's right. right. I'm sorry. So oh, that, spoiler alert. Spoiler sorry alert. About, yeah, so that's that. my bust. Yeah.
0: The, the lightning of last year. Okay. Uh, tell me your surprise of the decade.
1: Well, I mean, this is another low-hanging. So should I one. go first in that case? Yeah, go ahead. So, yeah go ahead. Yeah, go so, ahead. Yeah, like, yeah. If
0: we're going to go, the obvious yeah. pick has got to be the Vegas Golden Knights because they're an all-time surprise. I remember I was at the expansion draft. And I was tweeting at the time. I was like, "Well, it's clear as an expert. It's clear what Vegas is doing here. They're tanking. They're trying to set up a team that's going
1: to win the fewest games possible." And there's the, I wish we they could, made the friggin' Stanley Cup. Final. I wish we could like like have like a thing where you go back and Stephen like digs up the archives like in on a second's notice. Yeah, I'm sure because you won't. said before that season they won't have ten wins at Christmas. Yes, that's right. And they they had, did, and they had ten wins by Halloween. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. Exactly. Yeah. And. Uh, And it was just a lesson. Uh, That was fun. What I underestimated
0: about that team was that, uh, and this is why I think Seattle's going to be good too, quickly, because I think we can never underestimate how much trouble every GM or or many GMs across the league get themselves into with the cap because they're thinking, like Dave Notis, they're thinking about the now. So I think it'll happen again. And I think George McPhee (laughs) did an amazing job with all the side deals, stealing guys like Jonathan Yeah. Although Marcheseau was just a claim, but he stole some guys in trades like Alex Tuck. Right, uh, And that team, it's the greatest expansion team in professional sports history. It went to the Stanley Cup final and was quite a dominant team in the regular season. Gerard Gallant, coach of the year. 43 goals for William Carlson. Just a legendary season. And I think it'll never be forgotten. Just the pageantry before every game. And uh, I think that's, to me, the, the obvious pick.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that team m- made the expansion price for Seattle $650 million. Oh, yeah. They made that, mm-hmm. right? Because I mean, the, su- the success they had, the success they continue to have, and I mean, I, I mean, on the ice, I- a lot of things conspired to-, to to really bring things together. But this was a very well run, well put together uh, organization. Mm-hmm. And I've always said, it doesn't matter what kind of market you're in, it doesn't matter what what the circumstances are. It always always starts at the top, and, and it started at the top with this mm-hmm. one, and, and it continues. Okay, so yeah.
0: we've established that Vegas is kind of the consensus pick, but if there was another, if was an alternative pick, who would it be?
1: Well, I think this is another kind of low-hanging fruit one. I mean, this time last year, the St. Louis Blues were in last place yeah. in the NHL. Uh, January 3rd, to be exact, they were in last place in the NHL. Uh, I, and, and I mean... They were obviously a much better team than that. Um, But even that being said, I don't think anybody would have expected them to go on the run they've gone on. And, And I mean, 2019 has been a ridiculous year for the St. Louis Blues. I mean, they're the best, they're the by far the best team from January 1st to now. Oh, yeah. uh, they're. I think they're on a five or six game winning streak right now. Um, you know, I mean, and and it all started with, you know, the Gloria, the Jordan Binnington, you know, and, and it just goes to show you get a bit of momentum behind you. You start to feel good about yourself. You start to win some games. And it really, I mean, the momentum swing in that was like nothing I've ever seen before. Or I don't know if we'll ever see that again. It was unbelievable. And and some magical <laughs> moments along the way,
0: like Patrick McRoon, the local boy, scoring the double overtime game yeah. winner. And what's crazy about that team, is as GM Doug Armstrong, he's been open about it. He was on the verge. He had his finger on the button to blow that thing up. And within two weeks, he told me. Weeks. Within yeah, two weeks. Within two weeks. I think it was your story in yeah, yeah. one of our recent issues. Yeah, right? yeah, and he yeah. Was, I, it sounds like he was willing to... Put guys like Tarasenko, Pietrangelo, like the big
1: names. Were yeah, he said on the it board. wasn't. It wasn't just going to be a bit of tweaking. It was going to be, like, uh, it was pretty obvious that 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 this wasn't working, and and that they were going to blow it up. Pretty crazy. Yeah. And the
0: funny thing is, I, I think that the Blues are going to screw up a lot of teams going forward because there are going to be so many teams that are. In last place, and anybody, anybody can do it. In yeah. look at the Blues, and like even the, the Golden Knights the year before, when they they very much are still the anomaly rather than the norm, uh, but they are so inspiring
1: that I think you're going to see teams just so yeah. dreaming that they could be the Blues. See, I used to be a guy that said, no, no, it's not just get in and anything can happen. That happens once in a million years. Well, it's happened. Basically, the last two years, yeah, with and, teams, and even
0: the even if you go back to 2017, the National <laughs> Predators were the 16 overall seed, right? And they got right and went exactly, the yeah. and then yep. you have the Kings in 2012, eight seed, going to the final as well, yep. and winning, winning yep. the Stanley Cup. Yep. Uh, let's talk rivalries. Which is your favorite team rivalry of this deck? I get you could go player. I could, I should have thought outside the box and said Doughty, Kachuk, or something.
1: But that's uh, a good one. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's go team rivalry. Well, to me, I, I mean, and and it's not, you're not going to see this one, you know, up among the greatest rivalries of all time because they didn't really play each other enough and there wasn't there, there wasn't a lot of bad blood. But I think as far as setting the standard of excellence for this decade, I think the LA Kings and Chicago Blackhawks rivalry was something to behold. I mean, you've got five of the five of the five of six Stanley Cup winners in in a six year period right. they won between them they won five Stanley Cups uh they played each other twice in the conference final uh in 2013 i believe um chicago took care of uh of la pretty easily in five games but in 2014 the western conference final might have been the best playoff series I've ever watched. And right, Alec Martinez scored the it, winner yeah. In Alec over, Martinez overtime, scored in right? overtime of Game Seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vegas goes up three one in games. Uh, or not it's Vegas. It's the Kings go up three one in games. Uh, Chicago wins Game I believe Game Five in double overtime. Wins Game Six. Gets gets takes a two nothing lead in Game Seven. L A claws back. They win in overtime. Like I'm I'm not sure that the game has ever been played. In, in the NHL, not in not like taking away 2010 and taking away the '87 yeah, Canada Cup yeah. and, and all that. In, at the NHL level, I'm not sure the game has ever been played at a at a higher level than it was in that conference final in in 2014. It was magical, as far as I was concerned. I just I was just like, is there any way we can make this like a best of 15 yeah, yeah. or something? You know, excellent pick. I yeah, like it. It to be the
0: class to be longer. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, <laughs> 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 we want
0: hockey in July. Uh, I'm gonna go with a matchup that wasn't that common. I think it's less common than people feel like it is, uh, which is the Penguins and Capitals. But right. when they met, it's, it's crucial. So they met in 2016, 2017, 2018. The winner of that series won the Stanley Cup <clears> all three <throat> times. And it also represented the passing of a torch. So we know they also met in the playoffs, I think in 2009 when we had the series with the double hat-trick game. In for game one, one yeah, that, and, yeah, that was ridiculous. Uh, and yeah. So that, is, that first established the playoff rivalry. We And we know they've been, they've been connected to each other their entire careers. Uh, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, uh, but this was it was special because for in 2016-2017 uh, the Washington Capitals had won the President's Trophy both those seasons. Right, The Penguins took them down both those seasons and it represented just the inability for Washington to get over the hump. They were in the Penguins or in the Capitals head. I remember Barry Trotz told me that the year after he said you know what absolutely there was a pressure they were in our head I fully admit it. And then the Penguins eventually represent the Monkey off the back. And you got you got a feeling once Pittsburgh beat or once Washington beat Pittsburgh, which I believe that year was in six games. It was. Uh, it was then it was all of a sudden like, oh, oh
1: that was that was that was the one we had to win, and absolutely, Almost Washington like, does not win a Stanley Cup if they don't beat Pittsburgh. Yeah, and they it, had to do that. They had made to beat the tougher, Pittsburgh Penguins, they and had they trailed
0: to. to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the next series, three games to two, and they came back and won that series. They were a mentally tougher team, and I so, scored them seven nothing in those last yeah. two games. Yeah, so it just changed them forever. And just even just from a marketing entertainment standpoint, it's the two pillars of this generation going head to head. So just from a business sort of. Uh, Branding standpoint, it's a big rivalry as well. Uh, Two best players of probably the past 25 years, give or take. So so many different angles to look at it, but for me, it's the number one rivalry of the decade. Uh, Let's let's talk trades now. And if you want to get deeper into this, I, I did write an article on this that's on the website right now, Top 10 Trades of the Decade.
1: Uh we each have a different pick, but your pick, Kenny, is on my list as well, so let's start with yours. Well, I, I think for me it's it's gotta be the PK Subban for Shea Weber trade. Just in terms of the just the the, the absolute blockbuster ossity of it. You know, yeah. I mean that was Uh, that was uh, a trade that, 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 that shook the hockey world. You know, I mean, you know, we weren't seeing a lot of hockey trades. I mean, we were seeing some, but this was like purely a hockey trade. Um, You know, David Poyle, you know, the, the the most daring, you know, sort of devil make hair kind of trade guy out there. Um, You know, here's that you know, P.K. Subban might be, there might be rumblings that P.K. Subban's not welcome back in Montreal. He goes to Bergevin. He says, okay, what? Well, you know, is it true? You know, Bergevin basically says, yes. What will it take? Um, you know, and, and then when the trade happened, everybody thought, you know, this is, this is ridiculous. And, and me, me being one of them, that, 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 that this trade is so one-sided. Uh, right, in, for Nashville. in Nashville's At favor. Time, in Nashville's yeah. favor. Um, and now it's kind of, now PK's been moved along again, uh, might be moved again before the end of this contract. And Shea Weber is being Shea Weber again. He's playing, he's
0: sort of like creeping <clears> into <throat> the fringe Norris Trophy discussion this year, which is crazy because yeah. the first year of the deal, PK Suman's in the Stanley Cup final within a year, right? The first season. Uh, and David Poyle, it's like, that was the year, I always call it, that's the year that he brought back the hockey trade, because that same year, he traded Ryan, or Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and there are a few big hockey trades in that comeback year, one of which happened 20 minutes before Weber for Subban. Same day, Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. Right. The trade is, trade is one for one, as Bob McKenzie tweeted. That's an honorable mention. I think that's in the discussion. Uh, but it's still been relatively, you know, it's it's relatively early and, and Taylor Hall has since changed teams. So I, it's not number one on my list. It's still yeah. very high. Yeah. Number one on my list, and I argued this online, is the Brent Burns trade. Okay, so because I'm looking at it has the perfect combination of extremely big results for one team, but also longevity of results. So like yeah. the Devils get Taylor Hall, they get an MVP out of him. They get one playoff run, but he's gone in a couple years. Whereas Brent Burns, Brent Burns is going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, in the last, since he switched back to defense, which I think was about five years ago, he leads the league all all defensemen in goals by mile, shots by mile. He's been one of the two most dominant uh, offensively defensemen of his generation, uh, and he and Eric Carlson yeah, sort the other of one, back the other one's his teammate his teammate and they yeah. sort of brought back the era of like prestige stats for defensemen, right? Uh, and and the idea that teams can run their offense through defensemen, uh, and. The fact that he was acquired as, you know, a good player that wasn't reaching elite status for him, a first-round pick. The trade at the time was considered, I think, reasonably fair. Devin Sadaguchi had <laughs> and been... And Charlie Coyle, and right? Charlie Coyle. Yeah, Coyle yeah. was the first-round pick. Yeah. Sadaguchi had, I think he had had one goal season playing alongside Joe Thornton. So it felt like the Wild were getting a nice injection of offense and building a future forward group. And Burns was a sturdy guy who was, you know, he was solid. He was going to be, I think, a, a good NHL defenseman, above-average NHL defenseman. He was a good junior player, first-round pick, but he reached a level I don't think anyone knew he was capable of, especially because he moved back to forward for a couple seasons and then back to defense. And I just think the fact that the Sharks have what's probably going to go down is maybe top three player in their franchise history. Joe Thornton's up there, Patrick Marleau, Joe Pavelski, Pavelski Pavelski Owen Nolan. But I think Burns... Has the Norris Trophy. He's come close to winning a couple others. Mm -hmm. I think by the time his Sharks career is over, he's probably going to be in the top two or three Sharks of all time. Mm -hmm. Especially, people could say Patrick Marleau, but I've been open about my stance on Marleau. I prefer the guy who's dominant. Marleau hasn't won won any individual awards. Brent Burns has, and so has Joe Thornton. So (coughs) The fact that... That trade ended up being so lopsided, I, I think. It's a huge win. It, so it, it's a great trade in terms of one team really taking the other team to the cleaners. Devin Sataguchi is retired. Charlie Coyle's is now Boston Bruin. But it's also... They a great, got Ryan Donato for Ryan him. Ryan Donato, that's right. <laughs> uh, but just, he has eight goals this year. He does, yeah. <laughs> but the, the legacy, I think, that Burns is bringing to San Jose. They, they got a true franchise pillar. They got a guy who's on their franchise Mount Rushmore mm-hmm. and gave away one guy who's now retired, another guy who's a, a, good, a good middle 6'4". Yeah, yeah. Right, who's yep. maybe a bit overpaid yep. on the Bruins now in his yep. new contract. So that's my trade of the decade. Uh, let's let's talk about the signing. I'm spitting everywhere today. I'm excited. I, decades. Bleh, I'm, I am spat on Ken. Uh, let's talk about the best signing of the decade. And I think for the sake of this exercise we're talking about, we're not talking about like a restricted free agent signing and extension. Okay. Yep. We're talking yep. about open market yep. signings. Yep. Okay. So, Kenny, who's your pick?
1: Well, after winning their third cup, the Chicago Blackhawks in the summer of 2015 signed Artemi Panarin, an undrafted free agent to a two-year entry-level deal they ended up actually they ended up obviously making it highly performance laden and they ended up paying for it I think they averaged about 3.5 a year uh with all the bonuses which they gladly paid obviously because he he produced um but I, I mean since then um I think since since um Artemi Panarin came into the league there's five guys who have more points than him: Connor McDavid, Patrick Kane, Nikita Kucherov, Brad Marchand, Sidney Crosby. Well, wow. and and he's number six on that list since since that season. That's um, you know, then they turn around and then it starts to go south because they obviously they want to sign him to a long term deal. He signs a two year deal for six million a year. They see the writing on the wall and they say, yeah, he doesn't want to be here long term. Uh, so they trade him for Brandon Sod. Um, Talking about your lopsided trades. Uh-huh. Uh, that's, a, that's a biggie right there. Yep. Um, and and I mean, now, I, I mean, Artemi Panarin's on pace for 110 points this oh, yeah. year. I was going to say he's like the most consistent 75 to 80 point scorer over the past bunch of years, which he is. But he ain't even going to be that anymore because he's going to get 110 points he's this another year. Level. And he's playing yeah.
0: like he's one of the better two-way forwards in the game on yeah. top of that. Yeah, yeah outstanding. yeah. yeah. Love the pick. Uh, my, okay, my pick for signing the decade, it's controversial, but I want to i want to be clear here. We're talking about this decade, okay? So Ryan Suter's contract might not look great next decade, but this decade is almost over. And I think a lot of people talk about how much uh, the, the Suter deal and the Preze deal kind of changed the face of the wild for the worst. It handcuffed them for years and years. They weren't able to chase any other free agents. They signed the twin deals, 13 years, seven and a half plus million a year. I think Zach Preze's health problems his back and everything have made him more of a bust overall over the course of the contract but Ryan Suter he's produced it I think much better than a seven and a half million dollar player yeah he's been top 10 in Norris voting six times and in, in this decade he is the ice time king 2740 per game over the past 10 years ridiculous or, or sorry ridiculous that, not 10 years that's since he became yeah uh since he joined the wild okay uh so I I understand that you know the Obviously, 13-year contracts don't exist anymore, and when it's getting close to the end, it's not going to look good. But this exercise is about right now and the decades over. Over the course yeah. of the first six, seven years of this deal, Ryan Suter absolutely been worth every penny. Uh, and I, I think just in terms of big-ticket free agent signings, often these big UFAs don't produce as expected because we always say you're paying a guy for what he's done, not what he's going to do. But this is a rare case where a guy got to the open market, signed the monster deal, and arguably got better. Yep. He left Shea Weber yep. in, in Nashville, and then yep. Suter became an yep. elite-tier defenseman. He was a first-team all-star one of the years as well, and sort of became just the poster guy for being just the Clydesdale who, who plays monster minutes.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm right with you on that. I'm going to take issue with one thing, though. The problems that the Minnesota Wild have had over the past seven or eight years— in my opinion, have nothing to do with signing Zach Parise and Ryan Suter. Mm. Those guys have not been part of the problem at all, uh, in say, any well, way, shape, or form. In my opinion, when Zach Parise is healthy, he is a very, very productive player. You can't, you, you can't. But is he a seven and a half million dollar player? I don't think. As so. as a healthy player, I think he's. I, don't, I think he's I don't close. Think he is not anymore. I, I think he's close. As a healthy player, I think he can. He as a $7.5 million player signing as an unrestricted free agent where you take into account the fact that he's going to be overpaid anyways, I think. But those guys have not been part of the problem. Suter has been, as you've pointed out, very eloquently and very positively, has been very, very good Mm -hmm. uh, the whole time. And I think when Zach Parise has been healthy... He's been a very productive player. I I think that Minnesota's problems go way beyond that. I think uh, yeah, there, been there a, are many. There's problems. been a lot of procurement and draft and, and development issues that they've had there. And I think that's what it is. I don't I, I think to pin this on those two guys, I don't I don't think it's fair, to be honest with you. I, I think I think it's fair. Okay. <laughs>
0: because okay. it's just if you look at how many seasons in a row where the Wild were just unable to join the fray in terms of hunting for Additional big ticket upgrades—they just couldn't. They're maxed out. They did not have the cap space to do it, and it was largely because of those two contracts, especially Parise just really struggling to stay healthy, not justifying that. almost for any of the years. I mean, as a New Jersey Devil, he—I he, think he had a 90-plus point yeah, season yeah, at least yeah, once, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, But he never reached that level. So, and yes, a lot of things have gone wrong, but I, I think a big part of the problem was cap struggles. It also, you know, the Martin Hansel trade was a disaster and their best prospect is a guy who's been under contract in another league since they drafted him. Yeah, yeah. That's not a great thing either. Yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of things going wrong for the while. Uh, but to me, it started with... Okay. Start The down yeah. the decline, in a way, started with those two contracts. At least one of them.
1: As Will Ferrell said in Anchorman, I agree, agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: right. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, a couple more categories left. Let's start with the gaff of the decade. I, I want to give an honorable okay. mention first because I don't know if I can call it a gaffe, but it, 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 I think it was the what could have been moment of the decade in that amazing 2014 women's gold medal game Canada-USA oh, yeah. when Canada mounts that huge comeback USA gets a puck down the ice and it hits the post yeah. on the empty net which was unbelievable but again it was a long shot yeah, I don't think you call it it's not like it no was, that's not a gaffe yeah, it wasn't just a, a Patrick Steffen in, in the in the
1: gold it medal. wasn't a Zemgus Gergensens did you remember remember yeah, that yeah. one where he shoots and then his own stick stops it yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. so
0: it's not a gaffe but I wanted to just give it a shout out as, as an. it was an OMG <laughs> Moment. And Ken was there at that one. I was. I was, was at that, that one, one too. too. That's Mr. right. Olympic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, Mr. Olympic, what's your what's your uh,
1: Okay, well, okay, all you kids out there, when you're watching the game and you're watching the game and you see a goal called back because a guy's DNA was offside was over the line before the puck and there. you're wondering and you're wondering why how this happened, go back to February 18th, 2013, when Matt Duchesne scored a goal that was as offside as offside could possibly be, he he didn't even he didn't even think he was it was going to keep going, but he he just kept going because he didn't hear a whistle. He goes in and scores, uh, and he he scored, and all four officials missed it for reasons again that are very difficult to explain. Um, but that is that's that is essentially what. Gave birth to the to the coaches' challenge. So now, when you know, when you're pulling your hair out and screaming at the TV because this this goal was called back because it was a hair width offside, um, well, that that's that's the law of the that's the unintended consequences of of trying to fix this. Mm-hmm. Rather than the NHL just saying, okay, the linesman screwed up royally, let's just live with it. You know, it's like, no, no, we've got to call these back. And now it's like, well, if it's offside by 10 feet, it's offside by... Two inches or ten feet, what's the difference, right? So now you've got all these plays where everybody's wondering if it's a goal, or you know, you're sitting there wondering, waiting for the for the the endless you know uh, loop of of uh, of, of um, challenge to, to to finish, and then and then you can cheer because oh, okay, it's a goal, you know. That's what it came from. This yeah. and that was huge. That's a good pick, and I almost <clears throat> went with an officiating
0: related one for my pick as well, but not enough time has passed for us to sort of give it perspective, but the. the short Sharks, Golden Knights, oh yeah, ridiculous. Wild. Yeah, that was a biggie. But because it didn't, it, it did, it's still, you know, it's been just a matter of months, so I, I don't know if it's going to be re- as remembered as it feels like right now. But of course, it, know, will the, watch, and, <laughs> it will be in Vegas. Cross check. It will be in Vegas. Oh yeah, and then three, you know, <laughs> on How many? How many power play goals in a row did the Sharks score? They scored four, like four in a row. Four. It was unbelievable. But I'm going to go with, I, I think one that you know, it's been now, it's going to be seven years this April, and it's still being remembered as one of the all time choke jobs in hockey history it, it didn't oh, b- the Boston Bruins didn't go on to win the Stanley <laughs> Cup No, nope, they did reach <clears throat> the Stanley Cup final uh, <clears throat> as a result and just the sheer improbability of it, it makes it I, I think number one of the decade yeah. it's the Leafs with 11 minutes left in game seven 2013 led 4-1 and you lose that game in overtime 5-4 uh, I don't I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that in terms of a collapse that quick. It was. There was there was a, a Stars-Oilers one, I think, uh, the previous decade or during that peak Stars-Oilers rivalry, but I don't think it was... I think it was two-goal lead. I have to go back and, and check. Kelly Buckberger, I, I believe, scored the winner in that one. I'm okay. challenging myself
1: here. Okay, uh, But we're talking this decade. so. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I remember feeling... At when, when St. Louis won the Stanley Cup last year, one of the guys I was most happy for... Was Tyler Bozak because he was the one who said, "I'm gonna take." I think he said, "I'm gonna, I'm not gonna forget this for the rest of my life." (laughs) You know, where was little Stephen Ellis then? Where were you? Where were you watching the game, Stephen? Were you allowed to stay up to watch the end of that game?
0: I, I actually predicted that exact result on Twitter. Did when, you when it was 4-1? Oh we yeah. got a, somebody somebody who's listening go find that tweet
1: from Yeah yeah yeah. CBS. Oh, yeah yeah. Yeah yeah. Where was ago. where was Matt Larga? What bar were you watching it in, Matt? I, I wasn't
0: I was just at home. I was working that night and I was writing a story for the web, so I was mad because I had to yeah. delete the entire thing and start over again. <laughs> and and I do I, I do know a guy. I know a guy who's a Leafs fan who said that he had PVR the game. But but then, and that so he lives in Toronto, so like he He knows that if the Leafs had won the game, he would have heard honking horns, and it was four-one on his screen, so he was like, he was half an hour behind, but he knew that the game was over and that he heard no horns honking, so he was freaking out. He's like, "Oh my god, something, something, something went wrong," and then he was right. They blow the game. I do remember watching that game, and as soon as Boston scored once, you could feel the energy, absolutely, and the body language, especially James Reimer. I think James Reimer. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in the game, but I think one of the all-time horrible body language goalies. And you could see him shri- <laughs> like shrieking, shrinking into the net, like he was just under siege, and he, he seemed terrified. And that's could, too bad like, because
1: he had a great year that year. He did. He had a great year. He was really good that year. And uh, yeah, yeah. That's why I was at that game too. You were. I was at that <laughs> one too. You yeah. Are, that's okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna end it off. This is this is one of the <clears> I think the the. Most hotly contested categories. I don't think there's sure. a clear winner. Nope. We're talking goalie of the decade. So, wow. a few other names that we bandied about. You know, you could do Jonathan Quick. You could do Pecorine. You could do Carey Price. John. Uh, uh, Pe- I said Pecorine. Marc Andre Fleury, did I say already? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. No, you didn't say that. Yeah, Marc Andre Fleury yeah, is the other one I was thinking there, yeah. of. There, there are There right. are several Six wins. Yeah, yeah, several good candidates, but we both picked other guys. Sergey Bobrovsky, two Vezina trophies. He was, I was really going to, I was very seriously thinking of going mm-hmm. with him. But I actually went with. Uh, Tuukka Rask, and I, I know that you know. I mean that the resume doesn't isn't as shiny as a lot of other guys. He's got one Stanley Cup as a backup. He's 0 for 2 in final in in the Stanley Cup final as as a goalie. Um, <laughs> as a goalie, what else would <laughs> he be? Um, and you know, Game Seven there's of of 2019. There's there was some odor to some of the. Some of the goals that he let in, um, but I think I think what you have to take into account first of all is a he got to two finals, he got them to two finals. B, any goalie that you bring up from this decade other than tukarask Rask, has a skeleton in his closet somewhere. Like he he was not great for a, uh-huh. a period of time, including Henrik Lundqvist, including everybody. Like they're they've all had periods of time where they weren't good. Tuca Rask has been steadily. St- Steadily very, very, very good from the beginning of the decade to the end of the decade. And Vezin Trophy 2014. Right, exactly. Um, 920 save percentage. Uh, Anybody who's played 400 games, of of all guys who've played 400 games over the decade, uh, he's the highest. Ben Bishop played 360 or something. He's slightly higher. Um, uh, His... um, his 231 ga- uh, goals against average, same. Cups, uh, f- uh, uh, sorry, playoffs, 929, third overall for the decade. 211, say, uh, 211 goals against average, fourth for the decade. So yeah. for me, it's, gotta, like, it's also about, like to me, that's why there are teams, when I rank the teams of the decade, there are teams that are better. Like Washington is better because the, the regular season still counts for something. It still does. And and I know he doesn't have the, the Stanley Cubs to show as a starting goalie, but the regular season does count for sure something. And he was he was good to great every regular season.
0: Yeah. So I, I'm a guy. I always have been. I have mean, never understood when, when people are hard on him as a goalie. I think any team would be lucky to have Tuka Rask. He's been so consistent. Uh, he's right up there all time in say percentage leaders. And he's the all time leader in looking like other people. He looks like everybody. he looks like Harry Styles. He looks like Milos Raonic. Just name someone, and that he probably looks like Tukarask. I wrote about that as well. It's on the website. It, the article is just called Tukarask looks like everybody, and like he even he looks like Joni from Joni Loves Chachi. He looks, like, he looks like Chachi
1: from Chachi yeah. Loves Chachi. And, and he
0: looks like uh, he looks like the, uh, uh, Jerry Lundegaard, like William H Macy's wife who gets kidnapped in Fargo. Looks a lot like Tukarask. Somebody sent me uh, a, a Finnish reader sent me an image of like a historical picture from the fin- the Winter War, and some like soldier. Like, in the snow, it looks like Tuukka Rask. <laughs> everybody looks like Tuukka Rask. I'm telling you. So, I think he deserves points for that. Go check okay. out the article. Tukarask looks like everybody. Uh, my pick of, for goalie of the decade is Henrik Lundqvist, and people are immediately mm-hmm. going to point to the lack win of the Stanley Cup. Win something, win something. Yep. But, I mean, Tuukka Rask didn't win a Stanley Cup either. He Henrik Lundqvist has been to a Stanley Cup final. Uh, he won the Vezina Trophy in 2011-12, and I think for a stretch of, of, of three years, maybe in the early part of the decade, he was arguably the best goalie in the world for yep. three st- Three yeah. years combined,
1: got a world championship too,
0: world, and he, he did win Olympic oh, gold you the previous that, decade. You, and you oh, world that. championship. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I probably won a world championship yeah. as well if I was available that day to play. Nine uh, nineteen <laughs> save percentage for the decade, and to me, what really stands out is Longfust has this reputation of not being a winner. His playoff stats for this decade, he has ninety eight starts, That's seven seven starts more than any other goalie. 926 save percentage 2.17 goals against average. So he was outstanding in the playoffs. The Rangers have not lost because of him. They probably went further because of him, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. So he's yep. my guy. It, but it, it's close. I you could say, you know, Carey Price had the best peak. He was he was the most
1: invincible. He won the gold in 2014. He See, had again, the there, again and that and that goes to my point of, you know, that he's had some really really rough spots. That's right. And, and yeah. Jonathan Quick,
0: he's another guy who's polarizing. He He's sort of had become a legendary playoff goalie. He won the Smythe in 2012, Was really bounced back after a tough start and and carried them in 2014, but very overrated stats as a regular season goalie. So there's no... I don't think there's a runaway pick for goalie of the decade, but there have been a lot of good ones. And I think that's it. I think that's it for this
1: decade. That's it. Good decade. Great decade. Yeah. And for those of you who think it starts after 2020 is over... We can just do it all again next year if we yeah. want. And that's the
0: thing. Technically, <laughs> you can say that, but it's it's like uh, the word... Sneaked and snuck, like snuck isn't a word, but so many people have decided it's a word that it's now colloquially accepted, and that's the same thing for the decade. It's like it's the decade's over in two days. Sorry, (laughs) you can be like, no, actually, like no, sorry, you lost. It's it's over.
1: Actually, blah blah blah. blah. Is that what you'd say? If the
0: decade wasn't over, then why? Why does every magazine and publication and sports publication have best of the decade? Everything right now, (laughs) we're all wrong. But but when everyone's wrong, when this many people are wrong, when everyone's wrong, as a grammar guy, I've had to accept that you know, sneaked is not being considered the correct word. I'm like, I've lost that battle. So we're gonna, other people are gonna lose okay. the battle about the decades. Yeah, we'll go you know, with that. Yeah. All right, on that all note, right. <laughs> on that hot take note. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, everyone. And we'll see you or you'll listen to us or see us next decade. So next week. Which is next decade. Oh, come on. <laughs> he got me. I wasn't letting you do that one. Boo. Go hit puberty again, Stephen. <laughs> all right, we'll end on that.